0: All right.
1: Hello and welcome to Draw, Lose or Draw, a weekly podcast covering all things Parstic Thistle. Joining me this week to look back on the end of our 100% start to the league season is David Forrest. David, how are you? Hello,
2: I'm um, well. I had a lovely trip up to the Angus region. I got a great fish supper, I played Sega Rally in the arcade and, and then I had you know the rest of the day just in the ham after that. Um, so no, a good wee day out in Arbroath. Um,
1: up until about five past three. I think you had a better day than just a bit of rather Thistle fan that was there. I don't think anyone had a nice time. Um, Jamie McDonald's here.
3: Jamie, how are you? Did you have a nice day in our growth? Uh, no, not really. I was only there for the game. Uh, still having flashbacks to that far goal. So, nah, not a great day to be honest, but it was great to be back in our away game, to be fair. Seeing people again. And also here
1: is Rhys Haldane. Rhys, how are you? your day any better any worse than what we've heard so far Aye, it was um i was really looking forward to it right up
4: until obviously kickoff buzzing all week and then it was good for about half an hour and for that it
1: just fell off a cliff and majorly deflated but we moved Yep, yeah, as always we'll just we'll start by having a look at the starting 11. um there was only one change to the starting 11 from the team that beat them two weeks ago Ross McKeever came in for the injured Ross Doherty and Kyle Turner moved into central midfield with Stuart Bannigan. Ross McKeever played on the right-hand side. Jamie, what were your thoughts on the starting eleven
3: when you saw it on Saturday? Um, Again, I was happy enough with it because it was was pretty similar to the Dunfermline game. I didn't think there was much need to change anything after the Dunfermline game. We won 3-0, so we kind of daft to make a lot of unnecessary changes. Obviously, it was disappointing for no Hasty on the bench and uh, Doherty dropping out through injury as well. That was that was also disappointing, but I was happy enough with it. McKee were out in the wings, not well, personally, I wouldn't put him there. I'd much rather um, be the striker off the bench than a winger, and I think that was kind of proven throughout the game, which obviously we'll get into more. But I was happy enough with it, but with maybe one or two minor tweaks. David, I mentioned that we only had one change
1: from the Dunfermline game, which is it's normally a good thing when you've won three 0 but do you think the, the two week break, which we spoke about um, a couple of weeks ago, do you think that was a, a problem? Because we did look a bit a bit rusty maybe on Saturday. Do you think that was a problem with two weeks off?
2: Um, I, I don't I don't know because they did they, they, they did talk in the interviews previously about how they felt that 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 it had been a, a real boost for them being able to get players in and stuff like that. I think maybe having the three players out was a, a bigger factor than we maybe suspected because. I think that they maybe had bedded in with these these players, and had a game plan. And then when they all kind of picked up knocks, around the same time, we kind of had to move, uh, move it about. I I don't know. I think you you don't want you, we we say this every time we go to Arbroath, but it's a it's a tough game to play. It is it is a very very tough game to play. And even though the conditions at Arbroath were pro- could probably be described as tropical by usual Arbroath standards. It is still a very heavy going game and I think it, I think just having those injuries or whatever maybe knocked us back a step. Definitely, I think I think the two weeks, I don't think necessarily it was a bad thing. I think that the only issue would be that we have had those two weeks to prepare and then have had to change due to the injuries, which I think is maybe what cost us a little bit there.
1: We'll come on to the Dockery inju- injury a little bit later. I think that was probably the key one for us. Reese, you mentioned you had a... A good afternoon until about half past three-ish. What was so enjoyable about the first half hour or so from Thistle's performance on Saturday?
4: Well, from a Thistle point of view, it's not really anything great because I don't think we played particularly well. It's more the fact that we weren't under the usual cost that Arbro put us under, um, which would obviously soon follow. And as David mentioned, it was a bit tropical for a change. Like It wasn't as cold, but that would all change about an hour in as well. And it turned into a tsunami near enough. Like our roof didn't really threaten us at all. Really, at the beginning, we looked pretty comfortable. Uh, I know we'll come on to it soon. And I know a lot's been made about how how good our midfield options are, with uh, like Turner, Banzo, and Doc. And it's weird because you f- like Doc is Doc is pretty clearly the the least technical of the three. So I kind of felt comfortable going into the game with that lineup as opposed to last season where Shea Gordon would have came in. And I think to be fair, Turner did have a bit of a good game. A few sloppy bits here and there, but I thought Turner was probably our second best player behind Tiffany. But, uh, by God, we missed Docker. It just shows you like when he's not there, we just missed that stability in the middle of the park. Then they're, they're scoring right on half time just killed our momentum and
1: g them right up. I think we might as well talk about Docker being missing just now while we're on it. I agree with Yuri. I think Docker is the least technical of the, the three midfielders of Bannigan and Turner and himself. But I think that is Doherty's game. I was sitting in the stand behind the dugouts on Saturday and all you heard from the Arbroath dugout was Rob Douglas and Dick Campbell's brother shouting seconds every time both played a set-piece in, a long ball in. And seconds is exactly the sort of thing Ross Doherty is so good at. He's so good at just mopping up all the, sort of the second balls, covering for players that have been beaten. And that is the sort of player we missed. And maybe when I said at the start to you, David, we, looked, uh, we didn't look as sharp as normal because we had a two-week break. Maybe it's because we didn't have that Ross Docherty-type player on the team sort of sweeping up and it looked like our both were getting, all, getting on to all the second balls, which I think it did, really. Jamie, what were your thoughts on the midfield? Because we've mentioned I don't think Bannigan or Turner played badly.
3: If Docherty's out long-term, what sort of solutions do you want to see in there? Um, if Doc is out long-term, which I hope he's not, I do think that it was mentioned that it was just a knock and training, you know, it was a precaution, but uh, if he was, I'd rather we played maybe like a diamond with Barrigan playing as a holding midfielder, having two wide men, Tiff and Hasty or Smith or whoever, and Turner at the top of the diamond with two strikers up front and four at the back, wouldn't mind us playing something like that, but hopefully it doesn't come to that and we are able to play Barrigan and Doc because as a midfield pairing, you're going to struggle to find better in this division, you know. Definitely one of the best up there. They were fantastic for us last season and League One demonstrated why McCall rates them so highly. So we definitely did miss Doc, as I already mentioned, on Saturday. You know, you can tell his influence goes beyond what a lot of fans might think. I've, I've always rated Doc. Definitely thought he's one of our best players last season. So yeah, he was definitely a big mess. David, I'll come to you with a question. With the Ross Docherty missing,
1: we don't really have a natural sort of ball winner. Stuart Bannigan can do that. But I'd say... He doesn't like to sit the whole game. He's maybe not as effective as Docky. So do you think it was a mistake to let Senna go out on loan? Are we lacking depth in that position? Or do you think it's Saturday was just a one-off without Docker? Do you think if docker is missing in other games, we can get through them better than we did on Saturday?
2: I, to be honest, I'm just a bit sceptical about the Senna loan, obviously, what we'll he get on game time. But it was really strange. Like in the McCall update last week, it literally bounced from we're short at the back defensively don't have people to cover, and as well as that, you know, we, we, we need to get like two or three bodies in, and then immediately being asked, Oh, but you've put Senna in one which I thought I, I I don't think I think they're a bit in Congress together. The idea that Senna is a centre back who he had a great season, you know, this the first half of the season last season, and he done really well at centre back, and as well as that as a central defensive midfielder, he's really, really, he really came on in what four months, he, he definitely would have been an asset to ourselves um obviously it's a case of is he going to get week in week out game time at hour then you know i can understand that but i think it was just it just seems really strange that we would put him out on loan when we are you know low on center backs and as well as that you know I, I believe he went out alone before the knocks, so I can't say, you know, oh, we're in the middle of an injury crisis and we're loaning players up to Allah because I, I think he was already gone by the time the, the knocks were seen, but I don't know. The the Allah one just very much... I, I don't know. It just it, it it seemed a bit strange. If he's not getting game time every week, it, it's a bit of a, a puzzler, because he definitely could have played a role.
4: See one, one wee thing on the centre thing. Um I know a couple of people personally, and what I've been told is like Senna went to McCall and asked to go out on loan, and McCall was like reluctant to do so, but and he said to Senna, "You are going to bend the plans." But Senna like fair enough to the boy; he wants to play every week. And I got told that Air uh, United and Morton both inquired about him, but Fisola didn't want to loan him to a team in the same league, so apparently that's why he's went to Allo. But that's what I've heard.
1: That's fair enough. I suppose it's probably a, a more deeper debate than we've probably got time for today but it's where do you what do you value more do you value developing a player more or do you develop do you value the short term and getting results in in the next couple of months more and having that option that you might only use once or twice it, it's a tough one and as you say David like hindsight's a wonderful thing I think he did get loaned out before the injuries so maybe if it was a week earlier we had those injuries he, he would have been there on Saturday. We'll move on from Senna, Jamie. I'll ask you. Um, we've obviously touched on Docker being absent. Where else do you think it went wrong on Saturday?
3: Obviously, there's a lot of things, which like minor things, but struggling to deal with the same thing that every every single time we play our bro. We know we'll talk about this a little bit later, but seems to be our bogey team of ours. We just cannot deal with some of the physicality they bring. Just even even things like the simple passing that they play. For some reason, we just struggle with that, and we always to struggle to break them down and create big chances. But for the second goal, for example, I said it to you guys in the chat. It's a really similar goal, which I hope doesn't become a persistent problem. But we conceded something similar to it against Queen of the South. I think it was was Willie Gibson who went down the left, beat two of our players really easily, and then got a shot off and scored. And then on uh, Saturday, I don't know who it was, but Summer Ferrala went down the left, beat two of our players very easily. I don't know if it was that big guy they had up front, forgot his name, but he caused us problems all day. We couldn't deal with his physical um, presence in the middle and even when he drifted out wide we were really struggling with him and just things like that, just poor moments of defending and then the ball onto the box uh, man just loses his marker really easily he gets a free header and then obviously sloppy individual mistakes like that stone stone for the third goal, I mean I don't know what's going through his head there the free kick, okay, he should have done a lot better with it but these things do happen occasionally but the third one I mean I don't, there's not really an explanation to it, I have no idea what was going through his head but and the, with breaking them down, I really do think we did struggle to break them down until maybe a bit later into the game. But they were kind of, you know, relaxed a bit more. They turned they turned off the uh, gas a bit and kind of uh, were just kind of sitting back. And we got brought them down a little bit easier, but we didn't really make anything of it. We scored an offside goal, but nothing really came of it. So it's hard to put your finger on exactly what went wrong. but There's a lot of little things just add up to a pretty really poor, poor performance in the end. Yeah, you made a lot of good points there, Jamie. A lot to get through. I'll try
1: and break it down one by one. You sort of first started off by saying, we both are becoming a a bogey team, which we are. We've had four games against them in the Championship, and we've only taken one point, which was the first time we played them under Gary Caldwell. David, why do you think they have become a bogey team?
2: It's a bit difficult. You don't want to just go the wind, the rain, it's terrible to play Gayfield, they've got such an advantage, obviously it's an advantage and they do work it to their, to their advantage, but even then you know, at Fahill, we've not been very good against them I think, I don't know, with our growth, I think I think that it's kind of, there, there does seem to be a, a bit of a uh but sort of looking for uh, naivety about, oh, that a part-time team, we're losing to part-time teams. They're pr- they are pretty much the best part-time team in Scotland. And the, the demarcation between part-time and full-time football has completely changed recently. And to it's, it's, I mean that, that's, that means nothing. Now, I don't think, I, I think having a part-time team like Abro, they are absolutely on the level with other teams in terms of they can play, they set up really well. They know their strengths and they work them. And other teams just can't kind of handle it. I think Dick Campbell knows how to set up his team and it can be infuriating. But of course it's infuriating, it gets some results. And I mean, you looked how they took St. Johnson, the, you know, who played Galatasaray, you know, uh, a week and a half ago. And, you know, they were up against our broth, and they took them to penalties. And, they, you know, they're, they're absolutely holding their own. I would think that... It's just Arbroath are a very good team, and I think a lot of people don't give them the sort of respect that they necessarily deserve in that, in that sense. And yeah, it's just they are a good team, and everyone's going to struggle to get results against them just by their sheer nature.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you on the, the part-time point, David. You look all the way through their team. They've got Derek Gas and goals, who's been a championship goalkeeper for the best part of a decade now with Martin and Arbroath. They've got Tam O'Brien as, as centre back, and to be honest, I don't think there's too many better centre backs in the league. I think he'd probably get a game for just about every club in the in the championship. And if if these players are getting offered part time and it suits their circumstances better than the sort of lower tier full time clubs do, then our both are going to attract better part time players than some full time clubs are who are attracting the sort of the lower bracket full time players. So. You are right. It's slightly misleading just to say just because they're part time we should be beating them because it, it it doesn't work like that. Our both have finished above um, several full time teams, including ourselves, since they were promoted. So they deserve the respect of any other championship club. They just seem so
4: so much hungrier than ourselves. And I actually said to my said to my mate in the first half, like before we before they equalised, like Ross McIver probably the only thing that he done at the weekend. And you know I'm a big fan of McIver. But one of the only things done this weekend, he was tracking back a lot. And I was like, look at that. We are actually putting up a good fight. Our players wanting it more this season. And I probably spoke too soon because our bro were all over the second half, as you've already said, they wanted every second ball. And see, at times, it felt as if they had like 15, 16 players in the park because the ball felt them every time. I you know that incident in the second half when like the ball was just bobbling about in the box. And I just don't know how it didn't manage to land a fissile player at all. And then, obviously, the big boy up front, big Joel Nubo, like... It just nobody could get near him nobody was in it was just keeping everybody at arm's length and I, I've already mentioned it to you guys like it was just so reminiscent of Big Jack Piazza that used to play with hearts like just just uses his body to his advantage and nobody can like, I remember even in the second half Tiffany was breaking away this was right late on and then um, he's back and nobody can get by him and I mean for as bad as we were at the weekend like we put the ball in the net four times like and scored in about, after about 30 seconds fair enough that there was a a foul before it, and then he scored again, and then Graham scored. Like we're still creating chances, albeit we're poor. So I don't think it's all bad. I just hope we bounce back next
1: week. I totally agree. It's definitely not all bad, but there were some negative, definitely some negative aspects of the performance. I want to talk about the defence, which I would say was definitely a negative aspect. I don't think it was Mayo's best performance, but I think we've seen from him um, in previous games and last season at Dunfermline. I think we all are in agreement he's going to be fine. I think there are still some concerns about the full-back positions and maybe Kevin Holt as a centre-back. So, Jamie, I'll come to you. Next week, we're going to preview the Morton game a wee bit more in-depth later, but next week, what sort of shape would you like to see in the defence? Who would you like to see line up where?
3: So someone something I took a little bit of stick-off from some people and I put it in the fistle group. Saying that I'd like to see us go for something like a three at the back with two holding midfielders, if that is if Doc is fit. Something like Mayo is the middle of a back three with Akinola and Holt on either side of them. Bandsman Doc in front of them. I know that is a pretty a risky lineup because you don't really have any cover with having no other defenders in the park, for having wing backs, having just wingers. But with two full backs playing as centre backs or two Centre halves who can play fullback as well and to hold midfielders. I feel we'd have enough cover. I think we should be going for teams like Martin at home because attacking is our strength this season and we should be playing into our strengths, especially in home games. We won't be winning all of them. So, going for a team like Martin who, not going to be disrespectful, but you'd expect to finish in the bottom half of the table and we're looking to finish up the other end. I don't want to speak too soon on that, but. You know, that's, that's what we're expecting. We should be going for these games, we be trying to score goals, make things happen. So I wouldn't be adverse seeing something like that. But I know it's risky. That's, that's what I'd like to go for.
1: I'm not against it,
3: Jamie. I can see it. I like the logic
1: of if we don't have any good fullbacks, don't play any fullbacks. I think that's sound logic. I just would worry if Tiffany and maybe Hasty were playing, and I know you said sort of wide midfield, but. In defensive situations, he would have to cover his wing backs. Would you lose some of their attacking threat at the other end? That would be more my only concern about that. Um, David, what about you? What sort of would you make any changes to the defensive line next week?
2: <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, I I get really confused. When did Akinola come on? He came on in the first half, didn't he?
1: He came first on about midway through the first half. McKenna suspected dislocated shoulder. Yeah.
2: Cause I, cause I did I didn't notice, and then uh, Mark mentioned um, Akinola, and then I, and then I spotted him, and I was like, wait a minute, he was in the bench, and it turns out he'd been brought on. It was, it was really strange. I, I really think Akinola really made a great, great case for himself on on Saturday, and I think that he definitely, sh- he definitely should be in the squad next week. I mean, to be fair, if you were a, uh, you know, a guy, a, a, a guy for West Ham and Leighton Orient. Coming up here, and your first game is a broth away where you get beat three one in the piss and rain. If he isn't already on the bus back to London, he's here for he's here for good. He's at, at, like what a baptism of fire that is, and I thought he was fantastic. I definitely want to see him get as much of a chance. I've always been a big defender of Foster. Um, I, I again like when the games are for her I was always sat um pretty much at the at the front and like the second row or whatever. So I saw uh, on Foster's side, so I saw him quite a lot. And I was not as down on him as other people. But, I mean, he, he did not he did not have a good game um, on, on Saturday. And I, I, just, I just think my, my issue with defence is that we we sold Penrice and we sold Williamson. I don't think we've adequate, adequately covered them both. I don't think we have replaced them. We've brought people in. But I, I don't see a Penrice or even a Williamson who is kind of sorting into that right-back role alongside Foster because we can't rely on Foster. Like, um I'm always worried about Free in the back with Thistle. I love Free in the Back as a concept, but I've seen too many Thistle games to think that we can, we can pull it off without absolutely shitting the bed. So um yeah, it's it's a tough one. I, I would always I would usually say four in the back. Akinola definitely it's starting.
1: I'll come back I'll come back to a few things you said there, David. I agree on Akinola, I'd like to see him start I wouldn't maybe go as far to say he was fantastic, but I, I did like what I saw. I thought he put himself about pretty well. He looked okay in the ball. He didn't get much time, but I thought he looked good in the ball. Whether we see him move into centre-back or, or stay at right-back with McKenna, I suspect with McKenna, we'll probably see him at right-back. But I did like all without thinking he was maybe as fantastic as you did. Yeah. Um, Foster, I'm gonna disagree with Ian Foster. I think Dunfermline game aside where we were very comfortable. He's he's really struggled every time I've I've seen him this season. I think he gave something which is something ridiculous, like four penalties away before the, the league campaign had even started this season, yeah. just in friendlies and league cup. I think he's really struggled and I I get why he's on the pitch like he's uh, as I said, I was behind the dugouts and he's he's a great talker. Like McCall talks to him a lot through the game, even when he's in the far side at set pieces and things like that. I totally get the argument that he's, he's a good guy to have about on the dressing room, but there comes a point where if you're costing the team on the pitch, as much as he has done so far this season, he maybe needs to come out even just for a few weeks for his own sake. But as you've said, David, with the, with the Leeson, Penryce and Williamson, we are, we are short in numbers there. And with McKenna injured as well, it's it's tough. Reese, what, what do you think? As you said with
4: Akinola, I was looking forward to seeing him, actually. I, I've read a lot of good things about him, and I think he will be a good player for us. And as you said, the small amount that he was on the ball, he did look pretty comfortable. But I do think he was a bit, um, a bit suspect for the second goal. Obviously, Mayo was a part of that as well, but he got bullied by Big Joe Nubo. And um, Richard Foster was terrible at the weekend, like as as David has mentioned, I, I do like Foster as well and I think he was key for his last season, Um, but he struggled big time this season and, and the weekend's probably been his worst game. If you watch back the highlights on the Jags zone, there's only about nine minutes of highlights and Foster's made about seven, eight misplaced balls in a nine minute highlight package. So it's, it just, it wasn't great at all. Um. Going forward, they didn't even offer a lot either. To be fair, uh, I hate to say it, I wouldn't be fully opposed to seeing Stephen Bell come back in in some way or another, and maybe putting Holt back out to left back. Um, I'm not too sure. I'm glad I'm not the manager in this, in this instance um, because I wouldn't really know what to do myself.
1: I'm with you. I think, Rhys. I think we've talked about being spoilt for choice in the midfield, but it's. It's the opposite, really, at the back. I think Bell could come back in now. He's got a pacey centre defensive partner next him, and Mayo. I think he could maybe facilitate Bell where you you couldn't early on in the season when he was playing next to Holt or Aware. So that's definitely an option. We'll move on to perhaps the biggest talking point of the weekend. Um, Ross Alexander's got in touch to ask about this as well. What do we see the? Where do we see the lie of the land in the goalkeeping situation? Obviously Harry Stone. Um, He's played a few times and looked pretty assured. We complimented him after the Dunfermline match a couple of weeks ago, but he had a bit bit of a shocker at the weekend. Jamie, I'll come to you first in this one. I'm I'm not going to ask you about Harry Stone's performance because I think everyone knows it was poor, but do you think he should keep his place for Morton at home on
3: Saturday? Personally, I want to see Sneddon come back in. I've always been a defender of Sneddon. I always think that he's been a decent enough keeper for us over the years. I don't think he's made that many at Howlers for us and McCall always, I'm not going to slag McCall off here or anything, but I always feel McCall can't wait to drop Sneddon in some ways, never seems to have rated him. And he's been dropped for, I think you mentioned on Twitter, Matt, he's been dropped for a lot less than that before. So if you're Sneddon, you're sitting there, Harry Stone's made two very costly mistakes, one of them, a ridiculous mistake, and he keeps his place. And you're there under contract, not on loan. You're just sitting there like, well, what do I have to do to get into the team? I really think Sinead's got to come back in. And if he has a good performance against Morton, he keeps his place personally for me. But I want to see Sinead come in for next week. I'm not writing Stone off very early into the season. He's only 19. But I don't think you can have a game like that and not not be dropped, to be honest. If it was an outfield player who had just given away two, made two huge mistakes, someone at the back made two awful mistakes and gave away two goals, everyone would be crying for them to be dropped. So I don't see why it's any different for a goalkeeper. I'm torn on this, Jamie, because I, I agree
1: with you from the Jamie Sneddon's perspective. He he must be thinking, what, what as you said, what do I have to do to get in the team? And he has been dropped for far better performances than that. And he's ended up on the bench afterwards. I can't remember Jamie Sneddon ever having a game as bad as that. At the same time, though, I don't think it's healthy to be in this situation where we're just dropping goalkeepers after one bad game. And I think... This is the time where whoever Ian McCall picks, whether it be Sneddon or Stone on Saturday, and I'd say I'm 50-50 on it, that's the goalkeeper we've got to go with till at least Christmas. Just give them a run. Just say, look, you've got the jersey till Christmas. Because in Jamie Sneddon's time at club he's not had that yet. And it, it probably has affected his performance a wee bit. Jamie Sneddon's worst performances for Thistle have been like the one odd game where he gets chucked in. Jamie best performances for Thistle is when he's four or five games into a run and he's comfortable with the defence in front of him. He's got a bit of momentum in his own form, he's built up a bit of confidence and then you see the goalkeeper that we all sort of hope that we've we've had and developed for the last three or four years. So I think I'm 50-50 because Harry Stone has looked good before Saturday and obviously Hearts wouldn't have loaned him out to sit on our bench. So I think whoever McCall goes with on Saturday, ha- he has
3: to stick with until at least Christmas, in my opinion. I actually agree with that. I agree that whoever comes in, they've got to get a run of at least at least 10 games. I mean, I know you're saying until Christmas, but it's got to be something like that. At, at least the next round of fixtures, whoever comes in. Because, you, you as you said, you can't be chopping and changing between goalkeepers. At the start of the season, before we'd signed Harry Stone, I really wanted us to bring in an experienced, older goalkeeper who actually wouldn't be wouldn't be like annoyed by playing second fiddle to Sneddon someone who's come there as the backup the experienced head who can help Sneddon develop and come in when we need them to play the odd game here or there that's why at the start of the season I was saying go for someone like Neil Parry because he was out of contract at Aloha. obviously I'm not saying we're ever in for him but something like that never ended up materialising we brought in Harry Stone I'm not annoyed we brought in Stone but it's created this kind of the situation again. that happened last season with Kieran Wright. I liked Kieran Wright, but it's the situation again. Two young goalkeepers. One's our keeper. One's a keeper on loan from a different club. Who do you play? Do you develop someone else's keeper and send them back, or do you develop the keeper that's? And people might say, "Oh, it's nothing. He's you no. Know, he's been part of the failure. But he has been loyal to us. He's come down. He was at as the Premiership. I know he never played. He was at as the Championship. Even when he got minimal game time, he got." Scott Fox, for whatever reason, was picked constantly ahead of him, even when he was playing terribly, which makes me think Stone might not get dropped because Fox had some woeful performances and McCall never dropped him. So I don't. Sned and I feel he really has earned that shot number one for so they and get the gloves. I mean, I, we've had this discussion so many times, but he must just be sitting there infuriated and there's only so much he can take.
2: Last week we were um, saying give them the game next week and see where it goes from that and we've given Harry Stone the game next week and he's dropped a clangor. At, at that point, what was, what was? do you know what I mean? When you, what was the point in saying, oh, give him the game next week, because if he does badly, still maintaining with him. I agree, though, that it's it's one of those things where you don't want to just drop somebody because he had a bad performance. But absolutely, if this was the other way around and Sneddon had this performance, he'd be dropped like a stone, to pardon the pun. But um, oh, yeah, like it's, I didn't even realise I'd done that. Not intended. In a way, I wish the, the Challenge Cup game was the week before because that would have been perfect to go, right, Sneddon, you're in for the Challenge Cup game. Give him that and then see where you go from there. Then you have one league game where you're going to go with Stone and, you know, give him faith after the after the poor performance and then drop him for the Challenge Cup game for Sneddon. You're not building that run. Um, yeah, it, it's very difficult.
4: I think like you boys have all summed it up perfectly. That, that is a problem that with two young keepers, are too itchy-peachy, they're too much the same. Um, and we should probably have brought in an older keeper because, and it, it sounds daft, do you play a lone keeper or do you play your own keeper? And you'd think, hey, you play your keeper every day of the week, but the problem is, Sneddon isn't any better, do you know what I mean? And like if, it, if Sneddon was clearly better, you would go with Sneddon. But... I do feel sorry for him, and it is hypocritical, but I would keep Stone in, because if you drop Stone, that's Sneddon's confidence shatter to bits, and it's Stone's confidence shattered to bits, you know what I mean? It's not beneficial for ourselves at that point in time.
1: So I, I just persist with Stone for the time being. Rhys has gone Stone. David, Jamie, I'll come to you. One word answers for Saturday, Snedden or Stone? Sneddon. David? Stone. I'm going to tie up. I'm going to go Sneddon just. But as I say, I'm I'm 50/50 and just give somebody a run till Christmas. I think. David, I want to ask you one question while we're on this, and it's maybe not going to be well received by some Thistle fans listening. But I want to ask you: We both noticed when we had Connor Hazard in on loan, the sort of the stick he got immediately from supporters when they when he made a mistake. Do you think we treat Loanies differently When they are on loan From the old firm Because The reaction And quite rightly The reaction To Harry Stone's mistakes On Saturday Where um, We we can slag him off He's he's only 19 It's a, de- a The debate about Sneddon's separate But we can't get On Stone's back And the supporters Were chanting Harry Stone's name For large parts of the game On Saturday Do you think We treat Loanies More favourably When they don't come From Rangers or Celtic Or do you think
2: I'm talking nonsense. I would absolutely agree with you, to be honest. I, I don't think it's just low knees. I think it's just anything to do with the old firm. Um, we always talk about how, you know, you see online Rangers and Celtic having a bias towards each other. They always, you know, take the side of their team and they don't really have any critical analysis. I would argue it's exactly the same for Fissile when it comes to the old firm. Um, there's various, va- various occasions where you see online people commenting and immediately it's just anti-old firm, irrespective of what it is or whether it's good there's some ridiculous ones or some you know perfectly arguable points and stuff there and there but definitely if it's anything to do with the old firm we always have an inherent bias which you know fuck the old firm all that typical jagged stereotype fair enough yep right that sign but you know i absolutely agree that the sort of the, the there is definitely a bias towards especially loanies from the old firm now it, there is argument to be made to that you know a lot of the loanees from the old firm have maybe not been that good. And it was maybe a wee bit of a dumping gun of, oh, you're sticking them to the fissile, so they'll get some game time, they'll come back. And you never actually see them do much with Rangers or Celtic. They end up getting released or going somewhere else or whatever. And that's that's a perfectly valid criticism. But I do definitely think, and Conor has is a perfect example of that, where players are definitely under the microscope far more if they're with the old firm because they're from them than if they're from like a Harps or a Hibs or a Aberdeen. Definitely, I would absolutely agree with
1: that. Me and David will take the Ls on Twitter if anybody disagrees with it. We'll, we'll not make anyone um, defend that point anymore. Rhys, I want to ask you your thoughts on uh, Jake Hastie. We've touched on Akinola already this pod, but what's Jake Hastie going to bring to the squad uh a recent addition, uh, ironically on loan from Rangers? Um, let's just, first of all, hope that he
4: can recapture his form that some get that move to Rangers because... In that short fifteen game period or whatever it was he played when he came back to Allah, it was frightening. Um, he had pace, he had strength, it was direct. He could beat a man, he could shoot from distance. Like he had everything you could want in a player, and it was one of the things. It was just a, it was a real purple patch, and I think like from the outside you could kind of tell that at the time because he didn't perform at Allah really. He didn't perform at Erdre in his previous loan spell, and f- and fair enough, like. He probably realises himself, like, I'm not going to get this opportunity again. Jump at the chance to go to Rangers and set yourself financially for the time being. So I don't blame the guy. And I just hope we can recapture that. Um, what he'll bring to our team, as I've said, like, pace definitely, because we relax we serious pace on the right hand side. Um, hopefully, it can level things a bit with Nkit and, and take a bit of the weight off Tiff in terms of creativity. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing him actually. Uh, I was disappointed, as Jamie's already said. I was disappointed not to see him in the squad at the weekend. Didn't expect him to start or nothing. But after McCollum and Coe saying he had a good weekend training, I was hoping they'd be on the bench. But I think I you've think probably got to throw him into the starting lineup next week. Just go for it against Morton. But it, it definitely adds a different dimension to our attack. We're really strong forward now. Um, as I said, a Tiffany, Hasty, Rudden, Graham, McIver, Smith. Murray, and you can even start thinking about guys like Shea Gordon who can play the ten. Like we really are stacked when it comes to different options. But I hope, hopefully, that ups the performance levels of all those players that I've just mentioned because there's only three or four max jerseys to play for each week. So they're going to need to do well in training and they're going to need to perform in games to get a starting place.
2: The thing about Hasty and same with like Aquino and stuff like that as well. The new additions is that much like pretty much everyone we brought in, they fit the profile of what McCall wants. It's not just signing players who are quite good for Inverness and Queen of the South, uh, who might bring something to the team. McCall is it, it, it's, it's a lot less scargon. He knows what he wants, he knows who he wants, and whether he can outbid him firmly or not, that he's going for those targets. And I think it's really encouraging seeing, the, you know, the players that are coming in. And the sort of, you you can kind of see lots of pace, you know, you've got a lot of great, some great technical players in there and stuff like that. You, you can absolutely see he's, he's building a team and he's bringing in players who work with that team as opposed to players who are quite good that, you know, maybe don't fit in as well. It is more round pegs and round holes than sort of quite good square pegs. And all oh, right, round holes, and I think it's quite encouraging that the sort of players that we're bringing in—they all fit a profile.
1: I agree with that, David. It is quite interesting, an interesting point. You do get the odd surprise signing, I think, like Akinola. But I think when you sign players like like Hastings, there've been a couple of others where you've been linked with them for a while, and it's clear that these are specific specific targets that the manager wants. They're not just general sort of jobbers at championship level, which we've maybe may signed in the last three or four years. It's specific players McCall's going for. Yep, that's a good point. Joining David to preview Saturday's home tie against Morton is Dean McKinnon from the Just One Cornetto podcast.
2: Joined by Dean McKinnon from the Just One Canetto uh, Greenock Morton podcast. Dean, how are you? Yeah, very well. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me on. Good stuff. Obviously, Morton come to Farhill on Saturday,
5: and we just wanted to get a wee bit of insight about how Morton have started their season. How have you felt they've stacked up so far? I think it's certainly been certainly been an interesting start to the season. Definitely different from the kind of season before, where we were a little bit more tubbied. And yeah, it's been really exciting so far. The Opening day against Inverclyde, it could have been, I think either team could have won it. Possibly a fair result in the end. We looked very, very good first half, especially without maybe taking some of the chances that we made in the first half. Second half, Inverclyde came back into it, and we we managed to get something from it. We then go up a, a really impressive a victory at Hamilton. We we really dug in and defended well, and I think we seen the benefit of having Ugu up front just getting. Better options in the attacking third, which is something that we really struggled with last season. And then I think Saturday's game had a bit of everything. Again, we we played well in spells, but the defending was really poor for for Queen's goals, and we kind of showed were, showed our weaknesses a little bit. And we've seen the struggle then of trying to chase a game when you've only really got a bench full of full of youngsters, and you're having to almost weaken the, the 11 players on the pitch to, to freshen things up and try and get something from the game. So, yeah, it's it's been up and down so far, but I'm still quite confident that if we get another few signings in the door, that there is a, a good spine of a squad there to work with. And what would you say the expectations of
2: the Morton fan base are? Obviously, last season there was a lot of turmoil with the whole ownership. Saga and as well as it with managers resigning and you know narrowly avoiding relegation, you know being sucked into the playoffs. Are Morton fans more hopeful this season, or is it just another consolidation
5: survival season? I think given how much is having to change behind the scenes with the change of ownership. Obviously, we're we're currently transitioning into fan ownership, and to be honest, I think most Morton fans would accept another consolidation season where it's you know finishing seventh or eighth we would obviously like championship survival to be far more comfortable than it was last year but I think if we can get the fan ownership deal over the line and get that legally binding and then start to put things in place off the park I think most Morton fans would be quite happy for the football to take a kind of back seat if we did if we can just have a comfortable season finishing 6, 7, 8th, then absolutely no problem as long as we get the club structure sorted and, and get things put in place behind the scenes to, to allow us to maybe kick on after that.
2: Who do you think Thistle should be looking out for in the Morton squad on Saturdays or any sort of dangerous threats that you think could cause us
5: real hassle? We've retained and recruited quite well. The obvious one defensively, we've got Lewis Strapp at left back, flying left back, just a young leisure. Martin graduate he's now and he's I think fourth or fifth season in the first team set up and it's it's going to be a big season for him to see if he can deliver across the 36 league games and really kick his game on another level midfield we look a little bit lightweight at the moment I think we could do with maybe a signing or two just to to show us up there and then Gauzy Ugwu that we signed from Wraith in the summer up front has been remarkable so far a really, really athletic, intelligent, not quite, I don't want to pigeonhole him and call him a target man. I think there's, there's far more facets to his game than that, but he's been excellent so far. And given how badly we did struggle with goals last year, just to see the comparison and the way that he's bringing other attackers into play, guys like Gary Oliver and and guys like that have really benefited from a from being in the side. So... Yeah, is probably our, our main danger man. Certainly going forward at the moment. And
2: uh, what's the feeling amongst Morton fans going into the Thistle game? Obviously, the last couple of years Thistle and Morton games have been very spicy. Obviously, going back to the twelve thirteen season, and um, there there's a lot, there's a lot of history there. Do, do Morton fans care care more about a Thistle game? Obviously, it's in a way day out in the West End and stuff. What, what how do you feel about playing
5: Thistle in general? It's one. It, it's kind of hard to. Explain. I think there always has been that simmering, that kind of simmering rivalry between the two clubs, but it's not something that ever really gets a lot of coverage. It's it's certainly one that you look out for when the fixtures come out. There's probably yourselves and any United this season. Just obviously the, the history with Hopkin and a lot of players going down there as well. They're they're the kind of two that that jumped out at you right away as being the kind of the marquee games this season. So yeah, it'll be good. Hopefully. Given the, the restrictions of lifted, given the chance to, to maybe go and get a, a few pints before the game out in Glasgow, that I'm hoping that we sell our, our five hundred ticket allocation and bring a healthy support up and hopefully generate a good atmosphere. Obviously the the novelty of the, the away is still there for a lot of supporters now that the restrictions have eased. So yeah, quite hopeful that we can take a, a healthy crowd up with us. And uh, what are you expecting from the game on Saturday? I'm not sure I think it will be another big test I think Saturday really hammered home to quite a lot of the support I think that we need players I think for all Confirm was a really positive performance decent result all things considered I think considering where you where most people expect Infermline to be at the end of the season and then again I don't think anyone expected us to to go to Hamilton and to keep a clean sheet and come away with three points so yeah if we can replicate the performance away to Hamilton, then there's absolutely no reason why we can't take something from the game. But I would caveat that by saying I expect Arctic to to be finishing further up the table than Hamilton this year. So yeah, it's probably it's it's a big test for us if we can defend well. I think we've got players that are capable of nicking a goal now. So yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm overly optimistic. It's still championship football, and there's no reason why we can't take something. And a score prediction for Saturday? Um, since we're building it all up and everything, I'm going to go for a turgid nil now. A lot of the things, especially when there is maybe a, wee, a little bit of hype around supporters, that these games tend to be quite dull affairs. So I wouldn't be against the nothing, each, to put it that way. It's a point, isn't it? Well, um, <laughs> thank you very much, Dean. Yeah, it was was good to ch- chat about the game and thanks very much for having me on no problem thanks
2: again Dean Um, and good luck for the rest of the season apart from on Saturday
1: Jamie, I was going to come to you there. Reese has named a lot, of, a lot of players that are in, in contention for places in attack and midfield positions. Positions out wide. Um, you've already said earlier on the episode that you wouldn't be adverse to a back three, but if we do stick with uh, the the four four two going into Saturday's home game against Morton, would you make any radical changes? Who's going to play out wide for you, and who's going to play in the middle? If Ross Dockett to the returns to the team.
3: No, I wouldn't make any huge changes. Uh, I'd like, obviously, Tiff to keep his place. I think him and Turner were the only ones that were really creating anything on Saturday. So I think for the majority of the season, Tiff will probably be undroppable for us. He's going to be one of the key players. We all already know this, but I want Hasty to come in, if he's fit, that is, to start. As Rhys said earlier on, he should be starting, in my opinion. I actually do like McKeever. I think he's a good third-choice striker behind Rodden and Graham, but... I don't want to see him playing on the wing. It's definitely not playing to his strengths, I don't think. It's the kind of player you want arriving in the box, maybe like a header or something. So he's a good striker, but he's not a winger for me. So I want to see a hasty start on the wing. If Doc is fit, I'd like to see him play alongside Bannigan. Uh, but again, I don't want to drop Turner. So oh, I don't know. this. It's difficult because I like his playing too up top, but I don't want Turner to get dropped. So maybe go with one striker. And this is it. I want a back three, so I'd like two strikers. But if we are playing a back four, I'll say one striker probably has to be Graham for now because he has scored the most and put Turner in behind. But realistically, I do want to see both strikers start and uh, a back three. But I don't think it will happen.
1: David, what one thing do you think we need to improve on Saturday to, to pick up an improved result? Um,
2: it's, it's a bit difficult to say because I think that generally speaking, we get the ball in the net four times on a Saturday. We are still creating chances, and yeah, you know, one one was offside, one was a foul, and you know, but we are still creating chances. It's not like years gone by where you'd be sitting there for like an hour with like zero shots on target, wondering you know where the creativity is going to come from. We have creativity in spades. I feel. Um, I I don't know. <laughs> I think I think the thing that really will be interesting for me is how they handle the loss. Now it makes it sound like it's a big earth-shattering loss to our growth, but I think it's how they bounce back from that. We were on a run and we did have a lot of confidence, and then went to this quite arguably quite formidable ground and played a team who dug in and just bullied us. Um, and we have to kind of come back from that and play again. Um, and play like we were before we went to Arbroath because I think arguably if we if we had had the Arbroath game say week eight or nine that would have been a whole different story but I think it's just it's kind of been a bit too early for this, and, and hope it doesn't set us back I, I don't know if there's any specific pinpoint. point I think the defence definitely we need we need more out of the defence and we need to bed them in people at like Akinola and even like um Hall. I know he's been here you know a good few weeks now and he's had a good few games but I think there's still they still a learning curve with that that defence and I'd like to see that come on a bit more and as well as that yeah just just build a solid defence because I think the key last season in the League One season was our defence was really really solid at the back and that uh, arguably was just as valuable you know as as the front the front line was our defence was the thing that kept us we barely conceded goals most of the season um, and that's. Arguably, what won us a title just as much as say Tiff or Graham. So, and that was because they were so confident and they were so relaxed with each other, and they had a vibe going. And I think that's got to be the key thing for us in, in making that come as quickly as possible and getting them settled
1: and confident. I, I agree, and I think the key to that is just having a settled base with the goalkeeper and two centre backs. So hopefully, um, that gets settled down and made consistent as the as the weeks go on. I agree with the sort of the placing of the defeat as well, David, I think. Six points from nine, I think we'd have all probably taken that from the first three games. Maybe not in the same order as getting beat at Arbroath and winning at East End Park, but I think if you go on to beat Morton on Saturday, and I know that's a big if, and you pick up nine points out of 12, that is a really good start, and their Broth game looks more like a blip. So yeah, important to react positively on Saturday, I think. Um, Rhys, what do you expect from the game? I think Morton are quite a, a stuffy team. Do you expect them to bring that to to Fort Hill on Saturday?
4: Um, as you say, I ex- expect a, a pretty tense opening. Uh, Morton always kind of line up pretty defensively. I, I'm not, I'm never really impressed with Morton's teams. Like, Morton aren't a team that can really strike fear into me and go, oh, they've got that big guy up top or they've got a good bit of pace out wide. They don't, I've never really felt that with Morton. But they do pose a threat from like long balls, set pieces, and they're just a bit of a shithouse team. Um, They don't really have that, that up bro thing about them where they just batter you, but they're just fucking... Sorry, excuse my language, but they're just a, a dirty team, do you know what I mean? Um, And I think it will be a bit of a battle. I said this last week as well, but I expect us to have enough, especially for how I think we will get the victory. I hope I'm not speaking too soon, but I really think we will bounce back. And I'd like to hope we put a few past them. See, it if Hasty starts in the wing, and we play, to our, we play to our potential, it could be a really good day. And as you've mentioned, nine points from 12. Every Jags fan would have took that, especially with the result over Dunfermline. I think I think a lot of us fancied Dunfermline to beat us that day. So a 3-0 win, it evens, it out, it's, it evens itself self out with our growth loss. So you, you just put that behind us now. Beat Martin at the weekend and we're fine again. We're back on track.
1: I commend you all again just for short, sharp answers. Just score lines predictions for Saturday. David, i start with you. Scoreline prediction. Uh, I'm going to go 3-1 Thistle. Jamie?
3: 2-0
5: Thistle. Rhys? Uh, without sounding like that Portuguese guy
4: on TikTok, but I'm going to go bold, right? And I'm going to say 3-0 Thistle. <laughs> That's bold. I'll
1: go... 2-1 Thistle. don't think we've got quite enough in us to keep a clean sheet yet. Uh, I'll go 2-1. David spoke with Lindsay Hamilton from the Glasgow Football Tour. We've split this interview into two parts, so here's part one for you to enjoy this week. I've been with
0: a few of my cronies. one or two pals of mine. We went in a hotel, we did very well, and then we came out once again. And then we went into another, that is the reason I'm food. We had six Dachan Dorises, then sang a chorus, just listen, I'll sing it to you. I belong to Glasgow, dear old Glasgow town. But there's something the matter with Glasgow, for it's going round
2: and round. I'm now I'm joined by uh, Lindsay Hamilton from uh, Glasgow Football Tour. Um, hello Lindsay, how are you today? You alright?
6: Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yourself?
2: Yeah, I'm not bad, I'm not bad. I'm looking forward to having the wee chat. So we just wanted to get you on, just maybe just discuss a wee bit about what you're doing at the moment and what Glasgow Football Tour is.
6: Yeah, so I actually set up the Glasgow Football Tour back in January 20. 20- 19 I always get that wrong January 2019 and it just came out of so I've worked at the Scottish Football Museum for I think about five years now as a tour guide I'm now the social media officer so that's my full-time job but um I uh, basically I ran into a bit of a I, I recognized a problem I would meet visitors all the time from from all over and uh you know i I'd, I'd ask you know have you been to another ground today have you been to Ibrox have you been to Celtic Park have you been to Fir etc and they'd always say oh, no I could only make it into one I could only manage one so I thought I'll come to the National Stadium which the National Stadium is fantastic and it's, uh, a, it's a story I love to talk about and I'll get into it a little bit later on but um I always thought that's so naff because you can get around Glasgow in an hour you know if you were in a car or something you could really visit all of them and I thought there's there's your solution, Lindsay. <laughs> there's your problem and you've got the solution. So let's go with that. Um I, I've kinda always aspired to work for myself. I loved being a tour guide. I couldn't get a full time job. Um well I'd say a full time job, I was on a zero hour contract type thing. Um and I always wanted to to go for it and really do it. Um so I set up a driven tour originally. It was a driven tour and it still is, it's still going. Uh, but unfortunately with the whole COVID malark we've had to pivot a little bit. So uh, I take out a 15-seater minibus, we go around the five grounds, so we go to Celtic Park, Hamden, Um Caafgan, Ibrox and finish up, best to last, we, we finish up at Firhill and um, we just talk about the history of the respective clubs and about the stadiums and the grounds round about and we talk about club legends and real characters and we talk about riots and attendance records and and all sorts of stuff um that that goes along with it um and the great thing about it is everybody adds in you know their own stuff and that's that's the best way to, to that, that's what football is it's it's stories it's just storytelling and um it, it was great really the first year was was great and it was more than i expected it to be cuz i've never i don't have a degree in business or anything like that I'm a total fish out of water but i just had an idea and i thought i'm going to run work um so the driven tours were great uh we were coming into 2020 and then we got one tour out the way and then covid hit uh big time and we all went into a a global lockdown um as it were and a a national lockdown so um yeah it kind of took away the the business side of things for a little while but you know there's more serious things out there in the world and it was um it wasn't easy but it wasn't the end of the world and um slowly started to pivot so towards uh the, the coming into the summer um i really wanted to just keep the stories fresh i was talking to a few of my pals through the museum and we were like wait a minute what was the attendance in 1937 what was the like try, you knew it was all there all the information was there but it just um you know when you've not uh, been out for a while and and done the tours and said the stories it it's like trying to connect the dots again and i thought you know what I, i'm missing tour guiding. So uh, I started up the virtual tours and we did them live on Zoom outside Hamden Park. And they were really, really um, enjoyable. Folk folk really took to them. Um, and we, it was great because we had visitors from all over the world. We, we were able to sort of open up uh, Glasgow to the world again. Um, and it was really nice. Um, it was great. And it was great. We got great feedback on it too. So that was my my first pivot. Uh, I went virtual for a, for a, wee, a wee while. And then um, a guy called Graham Brown, a bar convener at the Hamden Bowling Club, came on my first driven tour. He he clocked me and he was like this, I need to speak to this lassie. Um, because the Hamden Bowling Club uh, was rumoured, rumoured for years to be the first Hamden Park. It was always rumoured that the pavilion at the Hamden Bowling Club is the... The original pavilion and the the changing rooms, which the team changed in, it was always a myth. It was just a myth and a legend that went through the years, 100 plus years. I think we we talked about this last night. I think it was 112 years or something that that, that this story, this myth and legend has maintained. And um, but they never had solid proof until Graham Brown came on the scene. Uh, became secretary, uh, became treasurer, sorry, um, and then got invo- involved in multiple roles at the, the bowling club because he lived nearby. He, he's, he's flat, his old he's flat overlooked it. And um, it was a use it or lose it situation. And they said, you know, if you if you don't save this site, if you don't come and join, if you don't become members, if you don't get involved, it's going to be gone. Uh, and your lovely um, picturesque view of the bowling club and the Rose Garden might not be there anymore. Um, it could be turned into a Tesco, an Aldi, who knows? And it, it put the the fear <laughs> into the local residents who thought, well, if I want to sell this on, or if I want peace of mind, you know, it's nice waking up and looking out at a nice view. It's not so nice if it does turn into an Aldi or whatever. A lovely bowling club into a Shotten Centre, it's no, your favourite thing in the world. And uh, that's how he got involved. And in 2017, I hope I've got that right, I believe Boxing Day 2016, he, he uh, wrote away to the National. Library of Scotland, actually, I think it was, sorry. And in 2017, he received word. He received the official maps that proved that the Hamden Bowling Club is the site of the first Hamden Park, which means it is the site of the first purposely built um, international football stadium in the world. And it's of huge (laughs) historical importance and it has to be saved. And uh, that's when he came to me on my first tour, he says, Hi, I'm Graham Brown. I need you to save my bowling club. And I went, eh? <laughs> and then he explained everything about it and I went, Oh my God. And um it's taken a good while now, but we, we were trying forever to think, right, how do how do we do this? Uh, every time I went out on a driving tour I always told people, um that I, I added that into my tour, um, just in the passing to say, and on your left you've got the Hamden Bowling Club that's the first ever Hamden Park and you can see the shock in people's faces and the disbelief almost as if I'd just made it up as if it was still a myth and a legend and I would then tell them the story about Graham and then to to sorry bring us up to the modern time we uh, the Glasgow football tours pivot um now is to do a walking tour so we do the three Hamden what uh, the three Hamden's walking tour and tell the story of football because that's what it is it's It's a big fat lie uh, when England supporters and the media say football's coming home. Football was invented in the south side of Glasgow by Queen's Park Football Club. And that is the truth. And uh, this is the story that we go on (laughs) to tell. Um, So it's a a two-hour walking tour and it's fantastic and it's been very well received so far. I'm I'm really chuffed with it and I know that sounds pig-headed and a bit biased but... If I wasn't running the tour as a football fan, I would be getting involved um Graham does the tour with me, and his opening forty five minute to an hour monologue is genius. It's honestly genius, and people you can see the cogs in folks' heads spinning uh and heads blown off at how you know it's not just two people coming in going ah football's coming home all the all the crap it's the solid black and white proof and facts and evidence to prove it. And um it's not just one thing. There's several things and uh, it's great and it, it really it blows people's socks off. It really, really does. And um it's been great fun. Uh, and the the tours so far, everybody's been fantastic and really got involved and uh, so I, uh if you're a football fan, which everybody that will be tuning in at this will be, um honestly I, I can't recommend that enough. Um and I know I'm biased but uh it's for Graham's uh, stuff alone and the stuff about the first Hamden Park alone, mm-hmm. um, it's really really worth it.
2: Definitely, like um, I, cause I remember um before the uh before I kind of heard about Glasgow Football Tours, I remember for the, I can't remember the word for it. It's like not bicentennial, it's, it's sesquicentennial, something like that. They, like their hundred and fiftieth or whatever anniversary. Oh, Queens Park did that walking tour of the three and it was several years ago and I heard about it and like afterwards and I thought that's a great idea like they're only down the road from each other and it's so it's quite wild that you've got like these sort of three stadiums I mean like Capcom Park's still there obviously a lot of it's gone but you still got all the railings and stuff and there's no there's no finer thing um, yeah. In yeah. Glasgow, then going to Caffcym Park, especially if you can get a game of football there. If you can yeah. see a game of football there when, when what Caffcym Park, it's it's absolutely unparalleled in terms of just the experience of it and being involved in it. Now, obviously, uh, we've got you on for a Fifeal podcast. So the first time I um, found out about you actually was I remember we did a YouTube video about Farhill and about the history of Fifeal in three minutes. What you talk about, your sort of your. Yeah, your experiences with thistle and sort of you know researching history anything you maybe found that you you've quite enjoyed about thistle when doing your research
6: oh to be honest do you know what it is man i feel like um thistle for me um that's the one in the driven tours that everybody gets a uh, like a real surprise um it's uh it's everybody's favorite and i'm honestly no just saying that because i'm on here i'm not trying to butter folk up or that like People really love the the character of the ground, particularly um, the turnstiles when you're walking down the main stand, and obviously it's got like the old places and stuff on it. Yeah. There's something quite authentic and uh, genuine and sincere about it. I know that sounds mad. It's bricks and <laughs> and and the wooden doors, but like people just really really take to it, um, and I it's it's definitely one of the the firm favourites. Um, I think the thing with Thistle for myself is people as well when you rock up, and especially locals I think as well, and locals when I say who aren't Thistle supporters um, expect there maybe not to be so much history. And I don't mean to say that to be crap, but I think it's like in comparison to the big clubs in Glasgow. But I think it's even more sweeter then when you talk about um, particularly, obviously, party officials major cup wins, so the Scottish Cup in in 21, because they went and beat the big boys, uh, as people would see it. They beat Rangers uh, in the Scottish Cup final in 21. And, of course, and when you then talk about 1971, which is the game that most people... Now, obviously, remember if not, not I don't think anybody would remember 1921 now, <laughs> but um, 1971. There definitely would have been a few folk at that game where Thistle I don't know if you guys all know, but completely demolished Joxton Celtic um, at Hamden Park. And then um, people were in shock at the halftime uh, result, couldn't believe that it was happening. So I think it's made all the sweeter that folk kind of think, oh, here we go, last last stop, um, just a wee, a wee trip to Ford Hill, you know, as if it's like a wee cutesy number. And um, I think, yeah, they're actually quite aghast that the, the history that does exist and that there could have been more success. I mean, Fissel were in, again, uh, 1930 uh, against Rangers in the Scottish Cup final goalless draw then a replay mar- lose by a small margin 2-1 uh, in the replay but then as well and it's one I'd, I'd have to explain to folk but the Summer Cup uh, was another one that the Jags won in 45 and that was the, the the Summer Cup at that time was the Scottish Cup equivalent during the war um, against Hibs the, the score line escapes me but I know it was against Hibs and um, yeah I think they don't quite realise and then I've had a few folk as well and I hope I'm not being I hope I'm not being mean of the fetus here. I'm I'm certainly not in that camp. I have an absolute admiration for Parthic Fossil, but you're probably used to it, people treating you like the wee brother type. You thing, like to you know? see them
2: do well, you know, and everybody's second favorite team. that sort of I know, I know Hi, what stuff you mean. Like that. Yeah.
6: Like I hope, I hope that that's not what I'm I'm saying. This is what my audience comes to me with, you know, um, yeah. and it's it's usually the ones of like here have Fissel here have, uh, ever played in Europe and I'm like yes <laughs> yes they have <laughs> and people don't even know and it's sad and I think it, I think it's something as well that the club can do can do better with to, to to share that history as well um because I it's it's a crying shame that it's never I mean of course they've never gone on and, and, and won you know a, a, a European competition or, or any such things but I mean Sixty three, do you know what I mean? Against uh, Glentoran in the city's Fair Cup, play again in the uh, UEFA Cup after the seventy one League Cup win uh, against Honved. I believe it was. I mean, lost the game uh, fairly heavily for another aggregate, but and then first Scottish side to play in the Inter Cup. And my favourite story for that was so was a uh, I believe he's got in the first game. It was free one at Fur Hill, uh, I believe. But then he's played, uh, I can never pronounce it, Mets, isn't it? Mets with a certain Robert Pires on the side. And nobody talks about it. And there's great pictures for that game as well with the, the travel and support. And, um, yeah, it's stuff like that. It's stuff like that where folk think. I think folk come into that part of the tour and think, oh, they're going to talk about the doom and gloom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as if there's never been any happiness and any success, and it's all the, all the nonsense.
2: It sometimes feels like that. I'm not going to lie, Lindsay. When you're a supportive person, there is no happiness, and it's just you've done something wrong in a past life when you're watching them for the <laughs> seventh week in a row trudge yeah. out of three-nil loss. But, um, yeah. yeah, no, I, no it, it's good to, like, that. That's, a, that's the thing I really love about it is that, like, obviously – Rangers and Celtic are well documented. Everyone mm. knows Rangers and Celtic for better or for worse, whether you want to know about them or not. Everybody knows about Rangers or Celtic and their sort of their triumphs in like '72 and '67 and stuff are really well documented. And obviously the nine rows and stuff like that. But for Thistle, it, again, it's you no, know, they do have such a rich history of, you know, cup wins of just, I mean, like just really mental periods of stuff like the save the Jags and things like that. They just you know they, they it's not as sexy as like the sort of the, the big Rangers uh, or Celtic stories or stuff like that, and they kind of get lost in e for a little bit. So it's always nice to see people, um, sort of advocating for that and kind of um, giving it you know, giving a wee bit more a few a wee bit more information about it. So definitely yeah. not, it's, it's very, very handy. And it's the same with obviously like Queen's Park as well, and like you know, uh, for Lanark as well. Like, the, uh, like I think we, we as a, a city are blessed with one of the. The greatest football in histories um in the world uh, you know yep. in in terms of we've got so many teams that have done so much for for football and even when you get down to the lower teams like junior teams and stuff like that there's such a great history in there that like other other cities in the world don't necessarily have when you look at somewhere like milan or paris or something they do have teams but beyond your sort of top level and you get down down you know, lower and stuff like that. You, you don't have that sort of those sort of uh, that history there either. So no, I, I I definitely agree, and it's really good to see people making the most of it and you know telling it to people because there's an audience there that are interested in that. Um, I, I know I am like I know there's people around me like me around the world that are interested in this sort of stuff. And if I was to go to somewhere like say, for example, Berlin or something like that. And there was something like that, you know, a driven tour or a walking tour, so like, I'd absolutely be doing it. So it's really it's really yeah. good to be seeing people doing that for Glasgow, because I think it's definitely a story that needs to be told. One, one other video I wanted to mention as well is obviously Thistle in North Glasgow. I've seen that you've done a great video on North Glasgow recently, where you went to Peter's Hill, and you went to the old Peter's Hill as well, and I didn't even know that there was... I was really surprised. I thought that the, the old Peter's Hill was where the new one was, and he just raised yeah. it down. I didn't know there was, you know, stuff still remaining of it and things like that. And If you had to recommend a a place in North Glasgow for a Fissile fan to go that's not for Hill eh, on an off week, where would you recommend?
6: Oh, that's a great question. Uh, Where would I recommend? (laughs) Probably Maryhill Juniors, because they'll probably have a game this weekend. Go to Jack and Ellie's and then Maryhill Juniors if they're at home. But no, I would definitely, you know, the Peters Hill thing, that would be my one, um, because it's going to get knocked down very soon. They're building new flats. so. I forget which street it's on, but it's definitely on the video um on on YouTube my, my recommendations for North Glasgow. I've put the postcode and the street name. Um that's gonna annoy me. Um it's not far at all that like if you want to go to Peters Hill now, um it's uh, the back entrance, it's just the street down from where the, the back entrance is now. Um and you'll be able to see it right. It's right next to the, the train station. Um, I mean, it's just a wall. It, it is literally there's nothing there of like the the ground or anything anymore. But it's got this lovely like the the original signage there, mm-hmm. and um, it's just a nice wee piece of history. To sort of have somewhere on your phone, or maybe you've got a, a you know a, a dad, a grandfather, an auntie, or mum, whatever used to go to the PZ to watch the games. It's um it's a nice wee bit of history um to to sort of document and say oh I've I've been there and seen it um because they are knocking it down very very soon um but yeah there's um there's so many nice things. you know i actually need to keep those videos up because I'm, i am meant to do it. it's finding the time to do them but i want to do ones for you know east end west end etc um but yeah that would definitely i would go and do that now because i think they're chucking up those flats pretty soon uh, and it'll be gone it'll be lost it'll be lost to history within a few months so um i would definitely recommend that
2: so, so, Lindsay, do you want to tell us about the the upcoming tours that you've got and, you know, just give yourself a wee bit of a plug?
6: Yeah, so um, we've got uh, the one in the 28th is sold out, which we're delighted with. And then in September, we've got two dates. And September will be the last month for the last one for the season. Um, so we've got the 11th of September. And there's only six spaces that are available in that. So if you want to get in, get in rapid. And uh, we've got the 25th of September as well. So two Saturday dates at half 10 um, to half 12, which is nice. It's a nice um, start, especially if you're heading to the football in the afternoon, because I should have said that's a big selling point as well. You can have a beer in the First Hamden Park as well. So you can get a pint in the Hamden Bowling Club. Um, So what a lovely warm up. If this were playing either one of those Saturdays, I've not checked the calendar, but um you
2: can oh, you're come to the 11th that's uh it's
6: Inverness away so <laughs> oh well okay okay stuff them. but maybe for the 25th then you can yeah. do your morning tour a wee pint about back at 12 um one o'clock at the First Hamlin Park and then get yourself along to Firhill why not why not uh it's a good way to go about it and that's the last two um for the season um but yeah uh, that would be great to have to have folk along um they're they're really popular uh, they have been really popular which is a blessing really really pleased with it dog friendly as well so you can bring your canine companion if you wish um we're running with a, a <laughs> two two yellows and a red rule um so it's kind of like in the pub you know you get like three bucks and you're out i've seen that in a few places so i thought well if the if the dogs causing free big disturbances, then we'll politely ask you to leave. But I don't expect it. I think it'll be absolutely fine. You will know yourself if your dog's able to manage that. Um, you My know crowds and cannot. potentially My other dogs. dogs. Case, so, Aye, um, I, mate, I'm the same. Like I, I said to Graham, he's like, oh, how do you want to bring? Uh, do you want to bring sorry, Elvis into that? And I was like, mate, no.
2: Elvis has been all over, he's a star, he's been all
6: uh, over. I know, I know, he's good at the juniors and that, but I feel like, like, with people, absolutely fine, just dogs, he just wants to play, so I want to get a chance to tell my stories when he's wanting to dive about the place, do you know what I mean? So it definitely wouldn't work for me, but um, you know yourself if you get a nice, you know, calm, totally, like, placid probably dog, if you can bring it along, then you absolutely can. Um, and don't miss out, honestly, like, I feel like there's probably stories I've already said that folk are, like, that's amazing or that's really good or whatever and um honestly like your jaw drop you've graham's as i said graham's first 45 minute ten hour but it's just like mental like honestly it's phenomenal and uh i i would highly recommend to to book a slot get involved it's great you'll you'll thoroughly enjoy it good stuff and
2: uh, do you want to give yourself a plug on social media as well
6: yeah, so if you want to find us, um, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Glasgow Football Tour, and uh, I should say this as well the website so that you can go and, and book, um, is www.glasgowfootballtour.com.
2: So yeah, thank you very much, Lindsay. It's been great to chat to yourself, um, and yeah, hopefully we'll see some jacksons down at the tours and speak to you sometime soon.
0: I but there's something the matter with Glasgow For it's going round and round I'm only a common old working lad As anyone can see But when I get a couple of drinks on a Saturday Glasgow belongs to me
1: So in this week's Portage Thistle um, As followers of my Twitter account might know I had to be rescued um, from our broth on Saturday had a windscreen wiper failure and could not drive home into an inch of rain so I'm just going to ask the guy a simple question when have you been rescued?
3: Uh, I'll go a similar one on the way to a festival game as well you know back when we beat Kamarn at uh, 5 to November 2015 I used to bang on about how he had scored 5 goals since then until that Montrose game in the league yep. uh, I missed a, basically the entire first half because I was on the way there and uh, with my dad in the car. This was before I took the sports bus and the tyres, for some reason, uh, two of the front tyres blew up so the car got stuck. I can't remember where we were. I had to wait for the AA to come out and get us. Uh, I missed both of Dylan's goals in the first half. I had to get rescued by the AA. That was really annoying, but yeah, that's all I can think of.
2: I have a habit of getting lost in holiday. Um, uh, not uh, usually bad trains, so trains always... Um, have uh, I'm always like we went to Hamburg. We went to the the Vac Metal Festival, and we went to Hamburg and got a train. And um, my German, I'd learned German at school, but it wasn't the best. But he basically made an announcement that this was uh, stopping like ten stops early due to uh, Real works, But it was like five to twelve at night, and the announcement was in German, so we were all just sitting there. And um, we had to, <laughs> we just sat there for five minutes, the conductor came over and told us, yeah, this doesn't stop anywhere. Absolutely nowhere near where we were meant to be. And um, we were rescued because the person, we were with two English people, who, one of whom was like a, a, a TEFL, uh, I think he's an English foreign language teacher. Um, and he spoke German and he phoned the taxi for us and spoke fluent German and got us a 100 euro taxi to where we were and somebody had to sit in the book because we didn't have any way. But um, yeah, so that, uh, probably that that was quite, it was quite sketchy because it was at half 12 at night um, and it was in a pretty sketchy area of Germany. Um, and I made the situation worse because I used to um, fake propose to my wife in really bad situations for a laugh and I did it there and she was not fucking happy. So um, yeah, definitely being rescued, um, um, I, in Germany at uh, the, uh, the vacuum metal festival a 100 euro tax is probably up there for me
1: say if you ever need uh, rescued on a train again your man's Lego Dave Rhys any any rescue stories
4: um, I was thinking just trying to think hey, whenever I'm, I've been lost or my my life's been on the line you know what I mean I'm trying to think I've not got that many um, wee funny things that happened when I was younger like don't know I remember my dad saved my life about three times, and about like all three of them have been like, "Do you remember those wee sweets? Those wee Kellypo things, the wee red and white sweets?" I almost choked on them like three times, mate. I swear they don't make them anymore just because of me. They had to give me the Heimlich maneuver. We were in the car one time, and they had to pull over and just give me the Heimlich maneuver. I spit this fucking sweet out. I can't believe it, mate. But just daft things like that. No.
2: I want to say the most embarrassing rescue I've ever had. Um, my granddad once uh, hit, the, like, hit a bus um, like with his car but it was like it was just moving and he'd you no know, hit the brakes and he'd hit the back of it and he totaled the front of the car but it was literally like 30 yards from when he picked me up at school so it was still outside school so everybody was leaving and I was sitting there and I had to wait and I was like why are you not going and the whole the car was totaled and I had to just sit there outside school Everyone laughing because it crashed a car. Literally, it went like thirty yards, and it'd been crashed. We had to get a tow truck. It was aye, um, it was it was um, uh, a character building day. Put it that way.
1: Well, thanks for your stories. If you've got any hilarious stories about being rescued, do get in touch, and we'll maybe read the best one or two out next week. Uh, apologies for the, the low caliber of, of rescue stories there. Uh, there was nothing. Too dramatic. No, no real lives on the line out with um Reese's Reese's uh, We'll leave it there for the week. As always, thank you for joining us on Draw, Lose or Draw. We will be back next week to hopefully look back on three points at home to Morton and then ahead to our Challenge Cup tie away at Stranra, which David has gutted. That is now kicking off at one. He's got to go up at stupid o'clock to get there by train. Seven forty-seven
2: a.m. Matt. 7.47 in the morning you
1: might meet your hero on board oh, as I said thanks for listening we've been Jamie McDonald David Forrest and Rhys Dane. I've been Matt Greer stay safe and buy a season ticket